Well, as we continue to ponder the birth of Christ, last evening we gathered together and we looked at Luke's gospel and the way that Luke recorded the birth of Christ. And he kind of zoomed in and he looked at some major characters that we love each and every year during this Christmas time. He talked about Mary and Joseph and the fact that there was no room for Jesus in the end, so he was born in a manger. And then there was the angelic proclamation to the shepherds as they were out in their field. Now, today we're going to look at things from a different perspective. We're going to look at them from the perspective of John, the gospel writer. And John has a very different approach. Rather than focusing in so much on individual details and some of those beloved characters that we love from the Christmas story, uh, John takes this cosmic view of things. He looks at things from like a thousand-mile perspective. And uh, we're going to be reading this morning John's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 1 through 14. It can be found this morning in your pew Bible in the New Testament section on page 90 if you want to follow along. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning for our Gospel lesson. John's Gospel, the first chapter, beginning with verse 1 and continuing through verse 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born of God, not of blood or of will or flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for the birth of Emmanuel, the birth of God with us. And Lord, we thank you for John's testimony, for the way that he shares this good news of Jesus Christ. It's very different than how Luke shared it last evening. But Lord, we thank you that we get that up-close and personal view, but then we also get this cosmic view of what you've been doing all along, how you've been bringing things together, how this plan of salvation has been unfolding. And Father, we pray that today, again, you would give us eyes to see your truth in fresh new ways, that you'd give us ears that we might hear your voice in fresh new ways. And Lord, we pray that over these next few moments, you would speak to our hearts in ways that we would be forever changed. But Lord, we are grateful to be gathered in this place today. We're grateful for the reason that we're gathered together. And Father, we praise your name. And so now, Lord, over these next few moments, I ask that you would speak through me or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we thumb through and read through the pages of Scripture, we encounter many different stories and an amazing variety of characters. There are stories in Scripture about love and loss. There are stories that just make us laugh 
when we hear them. There are stories that make us weak and weep, and there are, there are characters that are utterly unforgettable. The people like Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Abraham and Sarah, the Virgin Mary, the Apostle Paul, Peter, John the Baptizer, and John the Revelator. These are characters that won't be readily forgotten, but then also in the pages of Scripture we find those whose stories we may consider rather minor, stories that we may forget from time to time. That of Demas, that of the man who ran naked from the Garden of Gethsemane, or of Manoah, the father of Samson. But in these characters, in their stories, in and through their lives, we learn a great deal about what it means to be in a relationship with God, to walk with God in faith. We learn what godliness looks like. We learn what holiness looks like, what it means to live the type of life that brings honor and glory to God. And we encounter also some great advice about how we can live better lives, how we can have improved relationships, how we can relate better not only to God, but also to one another in this life. But while all these characters, while all the lessons and the stories and the advice that we glean from Scripture is important, it's not the central reason behind why we gather. No, John reminds us today of the great artist God who is behind these Scriptures, who is authoring them by His inspired Holy Spirit. And he tells us today why this Word exists. Specifically, Scripture, the Word of God that we read each and every Sunday, and many of us read in our homes throughout this week, the, this Word introduces us to the incarnate Word, God in flesh and blood, Jesus Christ who reveals to us the Father, as John chapter 1, verse 18 states. Now, I know it's sometimes hard to grasp what John is talking about in this morning's scripture. It's sometimes difficult to sort through all the language, this idea that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Or as someone else said, in the beginning, there was Jesus. There was God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was there before the beginning began. I know it's hard to fathom. And to think that all these characters, all these stories, all this advice that we receive through Scripture, that it ultimately points to Christ is sometimes hard to wrap our minds around. But indeed, Scripture points us to the incarnate Word. And the Word, as John tells us, does something fabulous. Rather than remaining remote, rather than remaining distant and far away, rather than remaining just out there, the Word takes on flesh and blood, and he moves into the neighborhood. The Word became incarnate. The Word came to dwell among people such as you and I to live life on our level. Jesus, this incarnate Word that the Scripture speaks of and points to, John tells us, reveals the Father and the Father's love toward us. But the question remains this morning, and before we dig any deeper, it's important to ask these questions in light of that truth, in light of the fact that love came down, that the Word took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What is it that Jesus reveals to us about the Father? What exactly does He reveal to us, and what significance does this truth have for our lives? 
And that's where we began this morning. We began with John chapter 1, verse 14, that last bit of Scripture that we read this morning. And there John reveals and records for us the first thing that Jesus testifies to about God the Father. John writes this, he says, And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and lived among us. The Apostle Paul will pick up on this idea in Philippians chapter 2, and he'll detail it a bit further in verses 6 through 8, and he says this about the revelation that Jesus gave us. He said, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking on the very form of a slave, being found in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, both John and Paul are talking about the same thing here. They're talking about one of the most important and pivotal things we need to understand when it comes to what God is doing as he sends his one and only son. Jesus is revealing something very important to us about God the Father in His coming to live with us, in His coming down to live and dwell among us as He moved into the neighborhood, as He emptied Himself, as He became obedient to death on the cross, as the Apostle Paul says, Jesus reveals to us the very heart of God the Father. And he reveals to us what separates the Christian faith from so many of the other faiths and religions of the world. You see, it's one thing to believe that God is just. It's one thing to believe that there's a just God out there. And it's one thing to believe that if people turn their back on that God, that there is going to be repercussions and, and justice going to be meted out. And there is going to be some sort of penalty for those that reject that God. It's one thing to believe in a God who is, is distant, who's far away, who's inaccessible, who needs to be kind of placated through sacrifices and a myriad of other things. But it's an entirely different thing that John and the Apostle Paul talk about. A God who knows us, a God who created us, a God who knows our innermost thoughts, and our being. But not only does that God know us, He wants to be known by us. The incarnate Word, both of them testify, took on human flesh and blood. Jesus emptied Himself and He came down to live life on our level. The incarnate Word in coming reveals to us God's love towards us, His desire to not only know us, but be known by us. And Jesus reveals the lengths towards which God is willing to do, go to make himself known to us. To be known by us. To be in relationship with us. He actually moves into the neighborhood. I mean, that's incredible. There's nothing more wonderful than that. That's the good news, right? God loves us so much. He moved into the zip code to be our neighbor to be in relationship with us, to walk with us so that we can talk with Him and, and we can listen to His voice so that we can read His Word and know Him and know His will and His way for our lives. 
That's the first thing that Jesus reveals to us. God's commitment to know us and be known by us. And the second thing that he reveals to us is the neediness that each of us as human beings have. A few months ago, I was reading a book by the theologian Rodney Buchanan, and he tells the following story in that book. He says, on March 5th, 1994, the deputy sheriff, Lloyd Prescott, was teaching a class for police officers in Salt Lake City at a library. And during that break, he stepped out into the hallway. So during one of their breaks between sessions, he steps out into the hallway, and as he stepped into that hallway, he saw a gunman leading 18 people into a nearby room as hostages. Prescott, who was leading the course, was dressed in plain clothes that day. And so he fell in line with the rest of the group, becoming the 19th hostage. The gunman didn't notice what had happened. He didn't notice that Prescott had followed them into the room, and so he shut the door behind them. The gunman then took the initiative to say who he was going to kill and in what order. But it was then that Prescott identified himself as a police officer and was able to liberate those who were hostages. Buchanan went on to recognize the parallel between what this gentleman did and what Jesus did as he came to dwell amongst human beings. He writes, like Lloyd Prescott, God dressed himself as one of us. He put on flesh and blood, and he entered our world. He joined us because we are held hostage to sin and death. He rescued us from eternal danger. He goes on to write, imagine it. God, who who could have crushed the world because of sin, came into the world to be crushed for our sin. The very one who said that everyone who sinned would die came to the world to die in our place, taking our punishment upon himself. He both pronounced the judgment and he took the judgment upon himself. We did not even understand the danger that we were in. We were too ignorant and stubborn, he writes, to ask for help. But Jesus came to save us from the danger anyway. The Bible says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Buchanan concludes, this is an incredible mystery, but it's also an incredible story of love. Jesus, the incarnate word of whom Scripture speaks of and points to, reveals the heart of God the Father towards us, but he also knows our need, that we have sinned and fallen short of his glory, that apart from him, we can't be reconciled to a holy God. But here's the thing, here's the marvel of what we celebrate at Christmas. If that were all that we knew, that we had sinned and fallen short of God, that we had missed the mark and there was no way for us to achieve it, if that was all we knew, life would still be hopeless. To be told that we've messed up, that we've made mistakes, that there's a penalty to be paid, but that there's no hope, that's not good news. But to know that God loves us so much that he's made a way. 
to know that God not only identified the problem, but provided a way by sending His one and only Son on a rescue mission, coming down to live life on our level. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? And that leads to the third thing this morning. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The third thing that Jesus reveals to us about God the Father. The writer of Hebrews declares, Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. You see, friends, Jesus not only reveals the heart of the Father, he not only speaks to and addresses the need, but he provides the remedy. He provides redemption through his broken body and shed blood. And as the writer of Hebrews is clear about this morning, he went to great lengths to make that possible. He gave his own life. He paid the penalty that each of us deserved to pay. Jesus, the incarnate word, becomes like us so that in turn God may raise us up to new life in him. In closing this morning, I'd like to share one other brief story. It's a story told by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And he tells the story of a prince who was running an errand for his father one day in town. And as he was going through the local village, he passed by a section of town he had never been in before, and looking through the window of his carriage, he saw this beautiful young woman who caught his eye. As he went back to the palace that day, he couldn't get this young woman off, her, off his heart. And so he, can continue, he continued to come to town day after day just to see her, just in a hope that he might somehow catch her eye. But he yearned for a relationship with her and he couldn't see how that relationship would be possible. How could he, a prince, come to know her, an everyday person? Now, of course, as a prince, he could order her to marry him. Or he could try and just wow her and show up at her house one day with a detachment of soldiers and a beautiful carriage and his flowing robes. But if he did this, he'd never know if she really loved him. So the prince came up with a different solution. He gave up his kingly robes. He set aside his rings and other vestments that spoke of his power and his privilege. And he moved into the village. He moved into the village and dressed as one of the villagers. He lived among the people for many a month. He shared their interests. They spoke together of their concerns. He talked their language and in time... This peasant girl came to know him, and she wanted to have a relationship with him, and they fell in love. As I heard that story again over recent weeks, I thought that's exactly what God has done with us. The King of kings and Lord of lords has come down to live life on our level. He emptied himself of power and privilege. He set aside those things to come and be known by us, and to know us. And he came so that we could make that decision to love him. Of course, he could have compelled us. He could have forced us. But what really would that be love? 
But in and through Jesus, God has made the decision to reveal himself to us. To come and live life on our level and to give everything for us that we might come to know him and to walk in his ways. So friends, on this Christmas day, I have one simple question. Will you allow yourself to experience the love, the forgiveness, and the grace of a God who desires to embrace us and be embraced by us? Amen and amen. Let's pray.